Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello and welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We're always happy to be with you and we're hope, we hope you're happy wherever you are. We were thinking the other day that when in the dim future, when we're dead and gone, if our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids ever want to know what the heck we were doing, they can just go back and listen to really, <laughs> really old episodes of ours on the road. Well, you're only <laughs> thinking that because this has been funeral week for us. We oh, boy. went to a funeral yesterday of a dear friend who did so much in his life with a sweet family. And then we have, I have a friend who is dying right now. I think I may have mentioned that of cancer, which is so sad, but also we're going to a funeral on Saturday of our, one of our daughter's best friends, Oh um, gosh, a young, yes, relatively young mother um, who has just finally succumbed. And we're so sad about that. So anyway, you that. never know what'll come during a week, but uh, I'll tell you a great thing that came and we'll get to the topic right away. We'll get to it. Don't worry. Some of you know, we're continuing a little from where we didn't have time to finish on the last podcast with that three-letter lesson on being meek. But before we get to it, um, we had a wonderful letter from our missionary granddaughter. Actually, it wasn't a letter. It was something she posted that we just thought was so great that we thought we ought to read you read it to you because it's such a powerful thing. We haven't really talked a lot about missionary work, what we call in the LDS church, going on a mission, young people, all of our nine children went, and and it's a, it's a really remarkable, what I find interesting, Linda, is when we're speaking somewhere to a secular audience, and, and we get a question, what's this thing that your kids did, what is a mission, what is it involved, it's just so fun to talk about it to someone who's never heard of it before, you know, and to say, well, they say they'll go. They volunteer to go and do humanitarian and missionary work within some area of the world. They don't know where, and they receive a call, a calling. Could be anywhere on the planet Earth, and they go willingly, and they pay their own way, and they don't get paid anything, and they spend two years in the case of young men and 18 months in the case of young women just doing the Lord's work in a way that is so fulfilling and so self-gratifying, and, and they grow so much as individuals. They come back as different people. They do. It's been so fabulous. And we have had, we're just starting to send our little crop of grandchildren out, which is fun. We have two that have come and gone. Um, it's really been so exciting. Well, to see I mean, we, go. we run into a lot of people around the world who, who, like to send their kids on a gap year, you know, between high school and college. And they'll, they'll, some of them do humanitarian things, but a lot of them will just go, they'll go sailing or they'll go live in somewhere for a year and, and have that break. Well, this is a gap year and a half or a gap two years <laughs> that is so powerful. I mean, one of our missionary grandkids once said, you know, where could you go where you could do more for God, more for your fellow man, and more for yourself than doing this kind right, of service? Right. Our oldest grandson went to Taiwan, speaks fluent Mandarin, had an amazing experience. His father also served there. 
when he was a kid and is now doing business there. And then our second our granddaughter just was assigned to Uruguay during COVID. Yeah. So she never made it there. Uh, she ended up in Texas. Now she's in love with Austin, Texas, <laughs> and came home with a cowboy hat and had such a marvelous experience. And then this latest granddaughter um, is on her way to Chile, an interesting, very arid part in the middle of Chile, and we're going to read this note from her in just a minute. Well, but we we ought to mention where our kids went too, just just because it's so it's so diverse, right? It is. <laughs> our first daughters went to Bulgaria and Romania. They were the tenth and twelfth sisters into those countries after the iron the curtain fell, so to speak, after the Cold War, and it was such an amazing experience. So they learned to speak those languages, and they were only 100 miles apart, but spoke totally different languages. Of course, Bulgarian is Russian diversive device, well, derives from Russian, and the other is Italian speaking in Romania. So totally different. Well, and then three, three of ours went to England, which was so great from our standpoint, since that were we were mission leaders, mission presidents for three years of our lives. That's another story. But then we had a daughter that went to Spain, and we had a a son that uh, went to Brazil, and a son that went to Chile, and a son that went to Japan. And so we've had them all over the world. And, we have. And we, we got to go pick them all up when they finished and, and experience the new them, the new, the the you know, we sent them out as as boys and girls, and they really came back as men and women. Yeah, they did, and they that was a delight of our lives. We've saved their letters, and it's been so fun. But now here we are launching this third one, and she is at actually in Mexico City being trained at a training center there so that uh, she's learning language. And she already spoke really pretty good Spanish, but um, we're learning so much from her from her letters. It is incredible the reason we just felt we had to read you this is because you know some things happened to her family this is our older oldest daughter sarah and this is her her daughter um eliza who's the missionary and uh during this first week that she was in mexico city at the training center quite a lot happened in her family and the way she handled it and processed it is pretty amazing I'll just start, and then we'll we'll just read you this little note that she posted. My first week of being a missionary, Ashton, that's her oldest brother, broke his arm one wheeling and had to get major surgery because the bone was sticking out of his arm. The second week in the MTC, my mom tells me, saying she's at the ER with Silas, who's having a little heart problem. I finally get to talk to my family on P-Day, and my little brothers tell me they were throwing sauce packets at cars when one got really upset, chased them, and pulled a gun on them, shooting real bullets through the back of their bumper and tire. They had to leave the car and run away on foot. It doesn't end there. My brother Isaac goes to Paraglide, And I got a text from my mom a few days later saying he had been in a terrible paragliding accident, hit the ground at 30 miles an hour, and was being life flighted. (laughs) You have to laugh at that because it's so crazy. All in one week. Right. While my brother was in the hospital, I got a text from dad. He said, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for the blessings we have received 
for you serving your mission. I was sure I'd read that wrong. All four brothers had crazy accidents in two weeks that I've been on my mission. And I'm sure you'll be paying medical bills for years. Tell me how my family is being blessed in this situation. (laughs) Then I started to actually think about what had happened. Ashton wasn't wearing a helmet when he fell, and it was a miracle that he hit his arm instead of his head. Silas's heart issue resolved, and he's had no further problems. The bullets hit the back bumper of the car instead of going through a window and hitting the twins or their friends. Isaac should have been paralyzed from such an intense paragliding fall, but was able to walk the very next day. Is that amazing? She goes on to say, my heart is filled with gratitude and love. God knows and cares for me individually and recognize my sacrifice of going on a mission and is going to bless and watch over my family. (laughs) Bless her heart. I have seen the hand of the Lord so much in my life the past few weeks, and I know he is watching over me. I know that God is a loving God and cares for and watches out for all his children, even in trials where you think there's no way God cares about you. He does, and he's preparing a way for you to be blessed. I challenge you to look for the hand of the Lord in your life. And as you do, you always will find it. God is so good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Makes you almost choke Uh, up, doesn't it? I mean, that's from a 19-year-old who seemingly just yesterday was just, you know, doing her thing as a teenager, and now she's having that kind of blessings and that kind of thinking and going out to really in a completely self-sacrificing way, serve the people in a very poor rural part of Chile. Now, isn't that just a perfect example of meekness? Yeah. I mean, it really is so sweet that she thought of that because she could be in turmoil and mad at God because it all happened after she left and she's serving him and so on. And she totally turned that around. And I think if we couldn't just, if we could just do that more often in our lives, Boy, we could, so we could learn from that. You're right. That is a good transition or a good uh, jump into where we were last week. Those of you who were with us last week on the podcast know we're still working our way through these three-letter lessons. These, it's 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 a book we're in process of writing that we want to share with you, and they're just little word pegs that really suggest an attitudinal or paradigm approach to life that we can keep in our mind, that kind of work on us subconsciously, no matter what situation we're in. And this particular one is meek, but spelled M-E-K, because we have to do the three-letter lesson. We have to have a a line over the top of the E (laughs) to make it work. (laughs) And so we were, and and we were reading a little from an essay that, that we've done in another place about division and the need for unity, particularly in families. And we started that essay off by saying there's five D's that really that affect families in such a deep and horrible way. Discord, division, dissension, dismissal, and disrespect. And we were talking about what is the solution to this? How do we get unity within our families? And we had, we had read a little and talked a little about this remarkable scriptural promise 
that says that what we have to do is to remember our own nothingness. Such an interesting word, the greatness of God and our own nothingness. In other words, we need this humility or this meekness. And then last week we listed 17 scriptural promises that stem from that challenge of remembering your own nothingness or being meek. And they're incredible promises ranging from, you know, that your children will not fight and argue with each other, ranging from you will have compassion for those that have less, just these beautiful promises. But we wanted to go on a little bit and talk about um, how important this wisdom is and how it's not only scriptural wisdom, how you know, great thinkers throughout the ages have come to the same conclusion, namely that humility, far from being a weakness, and meekness in the in the scriptural language, in the biblical language, even to the point of, of in the Beatitudes saying that the meek shall inherit the earth. That's that bears a lot of thought. And we have some theories on what that actually means. But uh Maybe just we'll we'll read just a little and take a break and then we'll move right into this in a little deeper. Uh, the natural consequence, joy and blessings that flow naturally from humility, particularly the non-compelled kind, because that's the kind that takes the hardest thought and the most deliberate pursuit, have not only been recognized by prophets, but by sage thinkers from all walks of life. So after we take a break, we're going to tell you some of our favorite quotes about meekness and humility from a wide variety of subjects. But keep in mind what Linda just said, the kind of meekness or humility or nothingness that we should all be striving for, the most powerful kind, is the non-compelled kind. I mean, we're all humble if if we have a death or if we have a, a horrible illness or if we suffer an accident and that's that kind of humility may help us a great deal but the, when we can summon humility into our own souls by by the will and by knowing it's what we should do that's that's the most powerful kind because we can devote the power of it to the needs of other people so Think about that for a minute, and we will be right back with some really fun quotes. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Um, we have some really fun quotes for you. As you may know, if you've been listening for a long time, we are really great fans of C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton and all the, those guys that uh, were friends and um, fed well, off of each Chesterton other. Chesterton was a mentor to C.S. Lewis, and right. Lewis probably quoted him and George MacDonald more than any other two. They were a little older than Lewis and and and. But they all, they, they had the gift. They had the English-British gift of wonderful quotations. So here's what C.S. Lewis said about pride and about humility and about this meekness, although he didn't use all those particular words. So from C.S. Lewis, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. 
a proud man is always looking down on things and people, of course. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see anything that is above. I love that. <laughs> Lewis just had a, had a way of saying it in a lot of his writing. The heroes are the humble people. The heroes are the ones who, you know, think of themselves as meek and, and as nothing. But But in the powerful sense of channeling, God's power and God's will right. rather than their own. And this is good for me, too, because we have a group of friends who dearly love this dear Eve who is dying. And uh, she's just in the last stages. And we're all so down. We're so down. And I was just thinking before we started the show, we need to think up. We need to remember the huge blessing it is to know her and have had a life with her and all those good things. So yeah, I think yeah. it is really true. If you're looking down all the time, if you're feeling down, then it, life is hard. But if you start looking up, it makes a difference. So here's what G.K. Chesterton said on the subject. How much larger your life would be if you could become smaller in it? You would break out of this tiny theater in which your own little plot is being played. And you would find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? And uh, that had such an influence on, on Lewis, who, as, as you Lewis fans might know, uh, talked a lot about how the holiest thing you will ever encounter on this earth is, is another person, because we are all children of God. And and a beggar in the street or a, a criminal in prison is is still worthy of our not only our respect but our admiration as a as a as a child of God and and so Chesterton saying if if we could do this if we could just see the perspective of how small we are and how how magnificent God's creations and God's personality and character is then you would find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers <laughs> that's awesome you know another anonymous writer said one sees great things from the valley only small things from the peak yeah yeah that's just that's just the exact opposite of what you usually think yeah, that you need to be up high on a mountain to see everything. And it is great. I mean, it is great things splendid to see. Vision, but... but you see big things when you're in the valley. That's really true. Uh, another anonymous quote is, the smaller you are, the bigger the things he, God, the smaller you are, the bigger the things God can do with you and to you. And then here's... <laughs> Here's the real coup d'etat. Here's Chesterton again. Oh, we love this get, one. Getting it down to one little sentence. Without humility, it is impossible to enjoy anything, even pride. <laughs> <laughs> I love and that. And it's true, you know. I mean, you know, if the more humble you are, then when you do have a moment where you may have done something worthwhile, you can really enjoy it. <laughs> So indeed, until we learn to see ourselves as small as we really are, it's hard to see other things as large and beautiful as they really are. It's hard to see the full extent of God's as our eternal heavenly parents and Christ's glory 
as our creator and savior. But when our nothingness allows us to find such perspectives, they inevitably bring unity and dispel those five Ds. So here we're getting to the conclusion here that somewhat counterintuitively and maybe not expectedly, the solution to the discord and dissension and division that we often face today in in politics and in sometimes in our human relationships and sometimes even within our families where it's the most tragic, those five Ds are not dispelled by some magic communication uh, ability. They're dispelled by our own humility and meekness because it's that meekness when we can summon it, when we can learn it, when we can imbue it in ourselves, that's what causes us to listen and understand and get us past these divisions. Uh, uh, To end this little section, we want to quote from Richard Rohr, who is one of our favorite people in the world. A Catholic priest who writes a a little newsletter that we read almost every day. uh, He is brilliant and a mystic, as I might say. Um, This is his quote. Ultimate reality cannot be seen with any dual operation of the mind that eliminates the mysterious or confusing. Anything scary, unfamiliar, or outside our comfort zone. Dualistic thinking is not naked presence to the presence, the presence capitalized, but highly controlled and limited seeing. With such software, we cannot access infinity, God, grace, mercy, or love, the necessary important things. Wouldn't you join me in saying, I would not respect any God that I could figure out. I love that. (laughs) St. Augustine of Hippo said the same. If you understand it, then it is not God. <laughs> and, that, and, that's, and that's part of the humility is not saying, you know, and you, you see the opposite of this so often. We have one dear friend who we've mentored in some ways who is so into empirical proof and science and so on that he he just basically says, if I can't prove it, I don't believe it, you know. And the problem with that is that it, it, it's so pretentious. It's like, how? wait, how could your finite little mind, you, you're just a little worm on this one little earth that goes around this one little sun, and how, how do you expect that you could understand the things of the cosmos or of God or of the greater world that's beyond our grasp? And la- allowing for that mystery, allowing for that, being somewhat of a mystic and saying there's so much that I don't understand. So let's go on a little with Richard Rohr because it's just so powerful and it kind of sums up what we're trying to say today on this three-letter lesson of meek. Jesus himself consistently honored and allowed mystery. Many of Jesus' sayings are so enigmatic and confusing that I'm convinced that is why most Catholics simply avoid reading the Bible. (laughs) If Jesus had been primarily concerned about perfect clarity from his side and certain understanding from our side, he surely didn't do very well as a communicator, even in his lifetime. Thankfully, Protestants insisted on reading and studying the scriptures, but then became certain they had the one and only interpretation and ignored many of the others. 
Thus, even after Jesus so often, seven times in Matthew 13 alone, taught that the ultimate reality, which he calls the kingdom, is always like something, like something. In other words, a, a comparison, a metaphor, because it can't be fully understood by our finite minds. So going on with the quote, he clearly offers simile and metaphor to invite further reflection and journey, not to impose a single understanding. Well, he is amazing. This going on. Healthy religion is always humble about its own holiness and knowledge. It knows that it does not know. Imagine how our politics and our churches could change if we had that kind of humility in our conversations. It just doesn't seem possible anymore. Both political and religion are filled with people clinging to servitudes on every side of every Certitudes. Clinging to certainties, yeah. This makes civil and humane conversation largely impossible because there's no humility. There's no openness to mystery as being that which is always unfolding. Mystery is not that which is understandable. Mystery is that which is endlessly ununderstandable. Yeah, and our, our the man we believe is a prophet on the earth today managed to say it all in three words. All that, all that condensed down to three words, let God prevail. Let God prevail in our thinking and in how we how we develop our minds and so one more thing which despite uh, we actually put it in the title of this article about mental health um the smaller we see ourselves the less stress and pressure we feel and the more perspective we have on the depression and anxiety that we all experience so, you know, we write parenting books attempting to offer advice and ideas to families, yet the best parenting we have ever done is when we don't have an answer, where the scope or worry of an issue with a child is so great that you know you are not up to it. And yeah, it's, yeah it's, it reminds us of how inadequate we are. We, yeah. we just, we don't have the solution. Sometimes. It's within that nothingness that we've been able to offer this wonderful, unique form of prayer that I think only parents understand, essentially talking like a babysitter to the true parent who knows and loves those baby in, infinitely more than we do, and asking in our prayers that we might do as he would do, as the real parent, as God would do. And that's when real inspiration comes, and it can really be powerful. So it, it's a high bar. It's a high bar, and it's a long road. It's an eternal goal, and not for the faint-hearted. But we have eternity to lay hold on this gift we call unity. Unity is so difficult right now. On this union of our spirits with His, our God, our Heavenly Father, and once we get on the path, stretched and distanced as it is, we will feel ourselves moving ever so gradually, but sometimes in satisfying soul expect soul expanding bursts toward those 17 promises that we talked about last time um, of growing unity that we want so desperately for our families. So what do we need to stay the course? Not everything, but nothing. <laughs> we need that nothingness. So I hope you get the gist of what we're trying to say here in this three-letter lesson of meek. 
that it's a powerful and indeed a creating force. And it it has to do with us accepting and understanding the reality of how small and insignificant we are, but how unlimited our potential is when we channel the spirit of God and make his objectives our objectives and let him prevail. And how important meekness is in our lives. In our families. In ourselves, but also as we deal with our families and our friends. So we hope we've given you something to think about today. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Fires on the Road. Bye for now. Bye.